Hi, third and fourth graders. Today, for Peter and the Star Catchers, we're going to be reading, starting at chapter 23. We read the finished chapter 20, where Molly was telling Peter their story. The story about the Star Catchers, and that the trunk was going to King Zarbaf, who was an other, and one of the worst ones. So they had to stop that. And they know that Blackstash is coming for their ship. And they're trying to figure out a way to stop him. But they don't know how. And Blackstash is heading there. That's kind of where we end uh, ended up. And they see, they've just seen the wasp headed their way. So we're on chapter 23. <clears throat> It's called Any Minute Now. Smee pulled hand over hand, hoisting the Union Jack high on the Jolly Roger's main mast, as Black Stash watched approvingly. Stash's men were all now wearing British uniforms. Stash glanced down at his own uniform, a captain's uniform, and felt particularly handsome. Stash peered through the glass at the Neverland. His swift ship had turned downwind and was now closing quickly on the old cargo hulk. Any minute now. Ready, men? He called out, and he was answered with a roar as his men thrust their swords into the air. Keep those blades hidden, shouted Stash. Wait for my command. He raised his glass again. The Neverland was very close now. He could see the storm was treating her badly. Stash grinned. They don't stand a chance. Chapter 24. Overboard. The good news spread quickly on the Neverland. It's the wasp! The wasp is coming! More sailors gathered at the stern, watching Slank as he raised the glass to his eye again. She's changed course, he said. She'll be coming alongside, to port. It's Captain Scott. He must have turned to run from the storm. Now he's come to stand by us. The crew was delighted. Instead of facing a monster storm alone at sea in a decrepit barge, they now would be escorted by the finest ship in Her Majesty's Navy. All right, you bilge rats, shouted Slank. We, ho we'll hold, we hold steady until the wasp is alongside. Then we... No! Slank looked down, startled, into the frightened but determined face of Molly Astor. What did you say? he said. You can't let that ship get close to us, she said. That ship is under the command of Black Stash. The sound of the dreaded name drew a nervous murmur from the crew, quickly silenced by a laugh from Slank. Black Stash, he said. Young lady, with all due respect, Black Stash commands a ship called the Sea Devil. That there, he pointed at the approaching ship, is the Wasp. I know her well. We was in port with her, and that's her. Yes, yes, said Molly, but Black Stash... Molly Astor! Mrs. Bumbrake elbowed her way past the sailors and took Molly by the arm. You stop this silliness this instant. Let go, said Molly, yanking her arm free. Well, I never, said Mrs. Bumbrake. Young lady, when your father... Oh, be quiet, said Molly, startling Mrs. Bumbrake so much that she actually became, for a moment, quiet. Turning to Slank, Molly took a deep breath to calm herself and said, Sir, you must believe me. That is the wasp, yes, but it was captured by Black Stash, and he's coming for this ship now. And how do you know that? asked Slank. Did a seagull tell you? This brought chuckles from the crew. 
something like that, thought Peter. Please, said Molly, desperation in her voice. I can't explain how I know, but I know. That ship is commanded by Black Stash. Slank's smile wavered for an instant, then returned. Young lady, he said, even if that was Black Stash, which it ain't, it's only the finest ships he's after. He wouldn't waste his time on an old bucket like this, especially not with that storm chase closing on him. Molly Astor, said Mrs. Bumbrake, having recovered the ability to speak, now tugging at Molly's arm again. You leave off this silliness and come with me, this. Please, Molly begged Slank, her eyes welling with tears of frustration. You must not allow that ship to reach us. Slank turned and raised the spyglass to his eye again, taking a moment to find the following ship. He took the glass away and looked back at Molly, smiling again. Young lady, he said, that ship is manned by sailors of the British Navy. He held the glass out toward her. Look for yourself. Molly took the glass, peered through it, then handed the glass back. It's a trick, she said. It has to be. Please listen to me. You can't. That's quite enough, young lady, bellowed Mrs. Bumbrake, moving in. All right, then, said Slank, visibly relieved, as he turned to the sailors who'd been watching the little drama. We got a storm coming, he shouted. Back to work, you bilge rats. And you're coming with me, young lady, said Mrs. Bumbrake, towing Molly toward the ladderway. As Molly was pulled away, she caught Peter's eye and pointed downward. Her meaning was clear. Meet me below. Peter nodded. Dodging among the bustling crewmen, he found a relatively quiet place along the starboard rail where he could wait for a chance to go below. From time to time, he glanced back at the following ship, growing steadily larger, as was the roiling mass of clouds behind it. He didn't know which he was more nervous about, Black Stash or the Storm. I guess we're going to get both, he thought. In a few minutes, he saw an opportunity. He saw his opportunity and ducked unobserved down the aft ladderway. He rapped softly on Molly's door, and she opened it immediately. Peter was momentarily startled to see Mrs. Bumbrake on her bed, snoring. Then he understood. Molly had put her to sleep. Hurry, Molly said, brushing past Peter and heading for the lower ladderway. He followed, and they descended to the hold level, where they had their first piece of good luck. There was no guard. Evidently, Slank had decided that, for the moment, preparing for the storm was more important than protecting the trunk. Their second stroke of luck came when Molly pulled on the padlock. It came off easily in her hand. Their ruse had not been detected. She opened the whole door and, with Peter behind her, stepped inside. At first he saw nothing in the darkness, though Molly seemed to know exactly where she was going. He heard her footsteps, then a rustling sound. Help me get the canvas off, she said. Holding his hands in front of him, Peter inched forward until he felt his knees bump into a solid bulk. He reached down, felt the rough canvas covering the trunk. There's a rope, said Molly. Peter's eyes were adjusting to the darkness. He saw the rope and helped Molly work the canvas free. It dropped to the floor, exposing the trunk and... Ah... Moaning, Peter staggered back, momentarily blinded by a brilliant golden light filling the hold. He closed his eyes but could still feel the light, a powerful, wonderful warmth fl flooding into his body, feeling so good. And there was more. Bells. It sounded like making some kind of fantastic music. Peter, Peter, 
Molly was shaking Peter's arm. He opened his eyes to find the hold suddenly dim again. The light, he said. What did? There are cracks in the trunk, said Molly. It's not made right. I think the cracks are getting bigger. I've put the canvas back on. Peter's eyes were readjusting. He saw the trunk now. The canvas was over it once again, tucked loosely into the rope. But now the whole bulk, canvas and all, was glowing faintly. Peter stared into the glow, feeling lightheaded, euphoric, feeling wonderful. Molly's hand was on his arm again. Peter, she said, I know this is difficult for you. It's difficult for me, and I'm used to it. Peter struggled to speak. What? he said, his own voice sounding distant to him. I mean, what shall we... Help me lift it, she said. Take that end. Following Molly's lead, Peter bent and, reaching under the canvas, took an end of the trunk. Immediately he heard the music again and felt the wonderful warmth surging through his hands, his arms, into his body. He fought to keep his mind on what Molly was saying. All right, then, she said. Lift it. They rose, and to Peter's surprise, the trunk rose with them as if it weighed nothing. Fascinated, Peter let go of his end of the trunk. It hung in the air for a moment, then slowly, slower than a falling feather, began to descend. He caught it again and raised it with just the barest effort. He heard the music again, the bells and the warmth spread through his body. He felt peaceful, relaxed, yet at the same time completely aware of his surroundings, of Molly, of everything. This way, said Molly, holding her end of the trunk as she backed through the whole door. Peter following. They easily maneuvered the trunk to the ladderway, and Molly began to climb the steps, guiding her end of the trunk with one hand. Peter, on the bottom, pushing the almost weightless bulk upward with his fingertips. They paused at the top of the ladderway, Peter again becoming aware of the creaking and rocking of the ship. He'd almost forgotten the storm raging outside. Where are we taking it? he asked. She pointed up. To the main deck, she said. But they'll see it, said Peter. By the time they do, she said, it will be in the sea. Overboard, said Peter, but I thought we were going to hide it. There's no time, said Molly. Blackstash will be here in minutes. But what if it's not him, said Peter? How do we know it's him? Because Am told me, said Molly, and because there is no other reason why that ship would be coming for us now in this storm. It's not a rescue, Peter. It's an attack. And this trunk is what he wants. But, said Peter, but... He tried to think of an argument, but the only one that came to mind was, but I want to keep touching the trunk. Molly studied his face for a moment. I know, she said softly. I know, I feel it too, more than you. But we must do this, we must do this, Peter, now. She started forward again, and Peter, sighing, followed. They guided the trunk to the upper ladderway, and again with Molly leading, they ascended the steps. The wind was shrieking outside now, through the opening. Peter saw rain flying past sideways in dense gray sheets. At the top of the ladderway, Molly stuck her head out and looked around. She ducked back down, her hair now wet and in, wa and in wild disarray. There are some men over there, she said, pointing to the ship's port side. I think they're shouting to the other ship. It's very close. When we get the trunk onto the deck, we'll go that way, she gestured to the starboard side, and throw it overboard directly. All right? Peter nodded. Peter, Molly said, if anybody sees us, 
If anybody tries to stop us, we must keep going. Do you understand? We must not fail. All right, said Peter. Let's go then, said Molly, and grabbing the end of the trunk, stepped onto the deck. Peter followed, and in a moment found himself drenched with wind-driven rain. As Molly had said, a knot of sailors was at the port rail, shouting. In the swirling gloom beyond them, Peter saw the shape of a large, long, black ship, very close now. Peter recognized it as the ship he'd seen the day the Neverland left port, what seemed like years ago. Its crew was lowering sail, apparently preparing to come alongside. On the raised deck at the black ship's stern, Peter saw a stocky helmsman fighting to control the wheel as the two ships drew together. Next to him, partially hidden by a mast, was a tall man wearing an officer's uniform, apparently the captain. Peter noticed, even with the storm and confusion, Peter was noticing everything, that the tall man seemed to be deliberately using the mast to conceal his face. He looked at Molly and saw that she had spotted the tall man too. She caught Peter's eye. It's him, she said. Come on. Stepping carefully on the wet pitching deck, they guided the trunk toward the starboard rail. The yelling from the port side was louder now. Some of the shouts turned to cries of alarm as the two ships converged. Molly and Peter reached the starboard side, and Molly raised her end of the trunk over the rail. Now! she shouted over the wind. Peter braced himself to shove his end and push the trunk into the sea. But as he did, the hulls of the two ships, riding different parts of different waves, slammed together. Peter felt his feet slide out from under him as he fell backward, slamming the back of his head onto the deck. He heard a cry from Molly and saw that she, too, had fallen, almost landing on him. He was dimly aware of the trunk setting, settling gently onto the deck a few feet to the other side of her. From the port side of the ship, Peter heard shouts and now screams. Head throbbing, Peter struggled to his knees. Molly, he said, are you all right? Yes, yes, I'm all right, she said, sitting up. The trunk, Peter, hurry. Struggling to their feet, Molly and Peter staggered on the lurching deck to the trunk. Molly reaching it first, leaning down, and... Put that down! Molly screamed as Slank, grabbed, grabbing her by the hair, yanked her away from the trunk. Peter lunged forward, grabbed Slank's arm, and sank his teeth into it, tasting blood. Now it was Slank's turn to scream as he spun away from Peter, releasing Molly, all of them crashing to the rain's slicked deck. Peter, the trunk, Molly shouted. Peter rolled, stood, got his arms around the trunk and felt it come up easily from the deck. He turned toward the rail, just two steps now. Get him, roared Slank, struggling to his feet. And in that moment, Peter felt a massive hand on his shoulder, felt himself yanked back and slammed to the deck, the trunk again slipping from his hands. Through the throbbing haze of his pain, Peter heard more screams. Looming above him, he saw the giant form of little Richard holding Molly, and now the fury-twisted face of Slank. Bite me? he shrieked. You dare to bite me? Peter saw it all slowly, as if in a dream, the face coming closer, the ham-like fists closing violently on his shirt. He felt himself lifted high in the air, and he had a momentary glimpse of the horror on Molly's face as Slank hurled him with all his strength over the side of the Neverland, toward the raging sea. 
end of chapter 24. Chapter 25, A Fly in a Spider Web. Blackstash's plan was going perfectly. The crew of the Neverland had shown no sign of alarm as the disguised pirate ship came alongside. While the pirates were approaching, they'd heard some kind of commotion, shouting, then screams, coming from the deck of the Neverland. But whatever it was, it had not caused the old freighter to change course. Now the two ships were side by side. Sails had been lowered, lines tossed to secure the ships together, fenders positioned to keep the holes, which had slammed into each other, from colliding again. Stash kept his face hidden behind a mast, though he knew his ruse would not fool the Neverland sailors much longer. They're bound to notice that my entire crew is barefoot. Stash had a single-shot flintlock pistol in his right hand, held to his side out of sight. He liked the idea of a bloodless coup with no swords soiled. The sight of pirates generally put such fear into merchant sailors that they often surrendered immediately. He waited, relying on Smee to be his eyes. From the corner of his mouth, mouth Smee said, they's tied, us, they's, they's tied up to us now, Cap'n. Like a fly in a spider web. How many on deck, said Stash. A dozen or so crew, a few passengers, including some children. Armed? The children? No, you idiot, the crew. A few knives, Smee said, a pistol or two. Our crew? Ready and itching to go. The pirates had gathered along the rail, their blades concealed in their uniforms. Good, said Stash. Now call for the captain. Ahoy there, Neverland, shouted Smee to the other ship. Who's in charge there, is it? He knew this didn't have the right ring to it, but there was no taking it back. That would be me, a deep voice thundered back. The owner of the voice, a big man, stepped to the rail. Smee saw that the man's arm was bleeding. Are you the cap'n then, mate? Smee said, then cringed. He wasn't getting any of this Navy talk right. The cap'n is indisposed, the other man said. I'm the first mate, Slank. His eyes were on the half-hidden form of Black Stash. Is that Captain Scott? No, I... stammered Smee. I mean, yes, but... I mean... You idiot, hissed Stash. Slank, suddenly suspicious, scanned the hard, unshaven faces of the men lining the rail of the dark ship, then glanced down and noticed the bare feet. Cut the lines, he bellowed. Cut the lines! But before the crew could act, Black Stash was out from behind the mast. Now, he roared, and before the sound had died from his lips, two dozen pirates had drawn their blades and leaped onto the deck of the Neverland, whose crewmen froze in terror. Stash, moving calmly, deliberately, followed his men over to the Neverland deck. He sauntered up to Slank and pointed his pistol directly into his face. Mr. Slank, is it? he said. Black Stash, at your service. Some Neverland crewmen whimpered at the name. Slank, on the other hand, stared coolly at Black Stash for a moment. Then, in a reaction that Stash found odd, turned and looked back over his shoulder, toward a young girl who was standing by the far rail, sobbing, as a huge man held her arms, as if keeping her from jumping over the side. Slank turned back to Stash, again meeting his eyes. Stash was impressed by how little fear the man showed. I might have room for a man like that, he thought. But what he said was, If you wants to keep breathing, Mr. Slank, you'll tell your men to disarm. 
Not taking his eyes away from his stashes, Slank shouted to his crew, Put them down, men. The relieved Neverland sailors, who'd had no intention of trading steel with the pirates, hastily dropped their weapons to the deck. Very good, Stash said, stepping closer to Slank, his pistol barrel now almost touching the space between Slank's eyes. Now, we ain't got much time with this storm, so I'll make this quick. You have something I want. Where is it, Mr. Slank? Slank took a moment to answer. Again, Stash was impressed by the man's calm in the face of a loaded pistol. We have a few women, Slank said, and plenty of rum. But if you think there's treasure on this old scow, I'm afraid you'll be disappointed. Stash's finger tightened slightly on the trigger. Then he eased off. Was Slank bluffing? Or could it be that he didn't know what he had on this ship? Stash thought about it for a moment, then decided that for now, Slank was more useful alive than dead. Mr. Slank, he said, if I don't find what I'm looking for, it's you who will be sorry. Now step aside. Stash turned to a knot of pirates nearby, raising his voice over the wind. You men come with me, he shouted. We're looking for a trunk. That's all we'll read for today. <laughs>